0: Hello and welcome back to Bodybuilding Down Under. This is where we have some bodybuilding-related discussions. So if you ever wondered what it's like to be backstage at an ICN or an IFBB show, I'd imagine this is what it's probably like. Dudes asking each other about their macros and their training and then just talking a bunch of nonsense. So it's good to have you on the other end, dear listener. And of course, we just want to say a big thank you to everyone who continues to support the show, continues to share it around. The four of us really have a good time making these, and we're very happy that it's been received as well as, as it has been. So it's been a couple of weeks for us. We didn't record last week, actually. So I must say, boys, I'm very happy to be seeing all your faces today.
1: I miss you too. Likewise, man.
0: Yeah. So I thought I'd start us off with a little bit of a surprise. We do sometimes have a bit of a chat as to what we're going to talk about in the episodes, but this is a spur of the moment thing. So There's another podcast I listen to. It's more like sport and comedy related. It's called We Got the Chocolates and they do a segment called Must or Dust. And basically what it is, is someone sends in a topic. It could be a food. It could be something you do throughout your day. And the whole point is that you have to say it is either must or that it's good or dust, that it's terrible. So there's no fence sitting. You can't say, oh yeah, but you just have to be must or dust. And of course, being a bodybuilding podcast, will make them a little bit more lifting related. So the first one is going to be mixing whey protein with water.
2: Must. Dust. Dust. (laughs) Dust. Absolute dust. Tastes like garbage, Jack. It's too efficient to negate it though. Like realistically, am I going to mix it with milk all the time? No, I'm just going to mix it with water and drink it.
1: Too practically minded.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it tastes half the flavor though, you know? It just tastes like crap when you mix it with water. Well, I mean, VTA supplements are so great
2: that they taste that good with water.
3: I mean, oh, is- <laughs> here it is. I watched you man.
0: choke down some like mass gainer thing at ICN. <laughs> you were not having a good time. I was shocked that it was with water as well. So yeah, definitely dust for me. So mm. you're outnumbered there, mate. I thought the Jack was one... going to
3: say that was so bad that you couldn't tell the difference between milk or fucking <laughs> <egg and> water. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is coming from the man that was drinking uh, olive oil out of the- mm, That's
3: true, the actually.
0: All right, so the next one's a little bit niche.
1: Now, this
0: one is people putting in the shows that they've won and placed at in their Instagram bios. Like, like personally dust. or in our response to other people? No, like whether you would do it or what do you think when you see it? It's absolute dust for me. Dust. Yeah, it's dust, I think.
1: I would say dust, yeah. There was a time actually where like I won that Queensland show. I put it in my bio for a little bit and then I was like, you know what? Like in two months time, it's really, really not going to matter that much. you right. So I was like, yeah, cool. You know, achievement for myself. But then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, mm. that's, I
0: will that's- say pro cards are <laughs> a little different, of course. For sure. No, I'll agree with that. I feel like if you're going to put it, unless you are have won the Olympia, just leave it out.
2: 2017 yes. bikini mama, first timers, second place.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean. It's like, and then you'll keep it there for like three years. And they're like, well, there's been like this show has been had like six times since then. So it just becomes a little bit irrelevant.
1: I guess you don't yeah. really know what, what that person's story though. Like, Of course, of yeah. the stage, right? At the end of the day. So, I mean, it, that could be something that they're incredibly proud of as an achievement. You don't ever want to really take that away from them, right? Like mm. that's important to them. Then, hey, let let them choose whatever they want in their bio. <laughs> Doesn't no, matter. I do agree.
0: I'm probably being a bit facetious. Well, after this, I'm going to add in Under 11's 2011 <laughs> best and fairest Redlands football club. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm a grade grade sevens, uh, like house captain or something like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the last one, boys, is lifting chalk, must or dust?
1: Must.
0: Must. Yeah, it's a must for me as well. I must say, though, I purchased the more conventional chalk last time because they didn't have any liquid chalk. And that is both literal and figurative (laughs) dust like that is it's a pain it is an absolute pain i have to like walk either outside the gym or like into the stairwell that leads into like the back so that i'm not getting chalk everywhere and that's not Mm. ideal
1: got a really good pair of wrist wraps though you could probably get away with with most things to be honest
0: yeah it's mainly presses like i find that for me the pressing is the biggest thing where i need the chalk because otherwise the dumbbell starts to
3: slide
1: never 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 use chalk for a press
3: why i never not i never did before but i actually recently purchased it about a month and a half ago and it's game changing i just feel so much more stable on it there's no like moisture on my hand or anything like you know when you go pick up some dumbbells or something and it's like a metal like grip it just feels like crap if you got like sweat on your hands when now when you put the chalk on there it just goes away completely
1: it's time to train your forearms boys
0: no (laughs) go on wait dc what do you mean (laughs) you never never use a press no chalk on a press why not
1: no no i just
0: i, I haven't I, either to be fair i
1: haven't, I haven't needed it so, yeah I've really
0: it. okay maybe me and dy are just sweaty boys because i definitely get a bit of moisture in the hand and then it just starts to slide around a bit i'm not a fan because then the dumbbells f- like on a 45 degree angle by the time you finish the set
1: i'd be interested to know how you guys hold your dumbbells when you press right like mm. i balance them on the palm of, of my. Reality- like, that's how you do it right <laughs> yeah well, fully look. extended look. <laughs> <laughs>
2: There was that recent uh, reel or fairly recent reel from Alberto Nunez about like grip strength or gripping the dumbbell or barbell when you do pressing. And he said like, oh, it's an easy way to enhance your strength by a very small amount. And he said, the harder you grip something potentially during the set, the more force output you'll have during the movement. So maybe you guys need to like actively just grip it more, more intensely. I'm not sure.
3: Uh, i don't know i just think it's the moisture the moisture within the hand like i'm sitting there at first three up sets deep i start sweating a little bit and then next thing you know you got a metal bar on your hand and it just uh, i don't know when i put the chalk on there it just went away completely and it feels like so much more stable
1: did you did, at university um lawrence did you ever learn about the gen Jurassic maneuver
0: i did yes i do use it every now and again with patients because you know certain conditions it's it's protocol to do like a neurological examination and test like upper limb and lower limb reflexes so yeah i do that every now and again with patients
1: that's an interesting concept because i guess maybe that feeds into what jack was talking about of like you know potentially so basically the gen drastic maneuver is like you know the the patella uh, reflex where like a doctor will will hit your patella ligament and you'll get that sort of knee jerk reaction. It's because of that stretch reflex. I believe it's like the Golgi tendon or something along those lines. I can't remember exactly. But uh, if you were to tense your upper body, basically like hold each hand and tense, tense your upper body as hard as you can and, you know, clench your fists as hard as you can. And then the doctor was to, to do the same knee jerk reaction. You would get more of an intense stretch reflex and knee, knee jerk reaction in that sense. So has some, in, some influencing factor on... Neurological drive and things like that, so could could potentially be the case.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm, it'd be interesting if it's like, you know, because in that instance, like, I don't remember exactly the the ins and outs of like the physiology and and stuff like that. But if it was priming the stretch reflex, you could then almost make the opposite argument that you wouldn't want to do it because you wouldn't want too much stretch reflex if you're trying to aim for hypertrophy. Maybe if you're a powerlifter. But that look—I don't even know if that's true. So it's probably not worth getting in into.
1: Into effect, like for example, if you're performing a back squat through a full range of motion, you, you're going to get some sort of stretch, stretch reflex occur, particularly down the bottom of the hole. But yes, yeah, so we're kind of going down a hole of nuance here. But yeah, interesting.
0: Yeah, but anyway, boys, I'm glad you enjoyed that. I didn't even ask if you did, but I'm just going to assume you did. So, Jack. You're in new surroundings, mate, and congratulations are in order as you're now a homeowner. So big ups, mate. Very, very happy for you guys and happy for the dogs as well. So how's the last couple of weeks been, the last few days settling in and all that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, thanks a lot. And it's, yeah, it's been great. We have moved to another part of Brisbane, close to the beach or essentially on the beach, which feels quite incredible to say that every time I do, because I think Tara and I, we've always, obviously we're online coaches, we can work anywhere essentially that there's internet. And uh, we've always kind of wanted to live close to the water. And uh, now we do. So it's, it seems quite surreal, but it's been a hectic week. Unsurprisingly, like moving uh, exactly a week ago. And so it's been a full week in the new place, just uh, all the usual sort of house moving stuff, like moving furniture, kind of rearranging stuff, buying odds and ends. And yeah, I mean, nothing's really changed from a nutritional training standpoint. I, I did miss a session last week uh, because like, I'd finished moving and my, my back just definitely wasn't up for a lower session, even though it wasn't, wasn't really a hip hinge lower session. But um, yeah, it, uh, things I think would have gone quite poorly. So I took a, a, an extra rest day and I've trained you normally since then. And I'm now training out of Welch and Brendale, which is an amazing gym. Uh, bumped into DC a few times while I've been there. And yeah, yeah the, the equipment there is, is about 100 times better than, well, Jim Brisbane, just like a lot of Cybex stuff, Gym AD stuff, and just everything's in, in tip-top condition as well. So very excited to pursue uh, a lot of new movements there. And uh, I, I think I'll be there for quite a long time. And maybe I'll, I'll chop and change a few gyms here and there, like Stafford and and uh some other gyms but i think brenda will be home for now yeah absolutely mate a few of those pieces on your story have been
0: looking exceptional any standout favorites from the first couple sessions there
2: yeah i'm really enjoying the the gym Eighty plate loaded row and the handles yes that's the one I'm, I'm really like the handles on a lot of the gym Eighty stuff and the cybex stuff I like the T-bar row from Technogym. I, I never thought I'd say I like a Technogym piece of equipment, but that one is indeed quite good. And some of the Cybex stuff is, is exceptional as well. Cybex plate-loaded shoulder press in particular.
1: I saw in your story that you put up the Unrack for the T-bar row. Is quite, mm. It's quite hard, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's almost like slightly out of reach. So you yeah. really have to like get those obliques firing mm. to sort of <laughs> twist from the torso to pull that out from the side. Yeah. But, it's a good piece regardless once you do get the on-rack.
2: Mm. Particularly when you use straps, like you have to lean lean over, do one hand and then then the other hand. So it's not yes. ideal. And you, DC, aside from
0: running into a very bearded, a heavily bearded Jack at the moment, what have your last couple of days and the last week or so been like for you, mate?
1: Good, man. Yeah, I saw Jack. saw him pacing up and down about 15 minutes for his side his session. He was obviously doing an RDL session, so he was getting mentally, mentally ready. Um, but myself, mate, not a whole lot going on, just progressing through this program. I think I'm coming up to, I think I'm in week four of this particular block. It's a six week training block and yeah, man, progressing really nicely. There's a few new exercises that I haven't done uh, before. So for example, like the belt squat, um, I've been doing incline barbell bench, which I haven't run for a while. So it's nice to be progressing upon some movements that I haven't prioritized for. Yeah. Good, a good amount of time um, doing some hip thrusts again as well, which I have not, have not done a hip thrust for I think before my, my condos prep. So it's been quite some time, um, but time to sort of rotate that back into a program. And then nutritionally, I have to say it's been very, very boring, like no, no changes to nutrition as of the last couple of weeks. And that's just because I'm just chipping up in terms of my weight. So no point in essentially changing that. Uh, I think I'm projected to run a mini cut towards the end of September, but Hey, I'm, I'm loving being chunky, but funky, to be honest. Um, I think, yeah, I I have no qualms to holding a little bit more body fat. I think if my performance is in a really good spot and I'm not depleted, tired, you know, all these, these caveats that sometimes come with holding a leaner physique. I'm happy sitting here. I'm not, I, I don't even know if I'm ready to mini cut just yet. So we'll sort of approach that bridge when we get to it.
0: Absolutely mate. And you definitely hold it well. Like I don't think anyone would describe you as chunky if they saw you on the street. In terms of um like now that you officially like a coach for BK and that sort of thing, has your workload changed much? Has your day-to-day processes and the amount you have to do and stuff like that changed a whole lot?
1: No, I wouldn't say it's changed changed much at all uh, at all really. Um I mean I would say I'm busier for sure. Definitely we've been we've been doing consults with more athletes and onboarding them within Uh, bk conditioning you know brandon's run at capacity for a good stretch of time so he's had quite a waiting list of really um motivated athletes that want to join the team so we've been running you know more consults throughout the week and onboarding more athletes for season a and you know season b the following year um but in terms of processes you know that sort of stuff nothing really changed on that front b and i meet up at least once a week you know via zoom he's over in in bali at the moment like he would have said you know in his uh, podcast with us a couple of weeks back but um yeah it's just talking about our athletes how they're progressing uh setting up timelines in regards to future preps you know all that sort of stuff doing more research on particular topics so it's been it's been good yeah
0: yeah nice mate and it does look like um there was quite a good bk contingent down at the uh posing workshop just quietly montana owens is ridiculously lean far out she looks crazy
1: Peeled, Yes, she's absolutely peeled. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And posing with the pros is awesome. And obviously you, you boys were, were there as well. And you can talk a little bit more about it, but they're great because it's just so many athletes that are so eager to jump to the stage and obviously being, you know, five or so weeks out, it's starting to become like so much more real. It's also really cool to see throughout the timeline of, you know, going to these, these, these posing workshops um sort of towards the you know start of the year versus now just the transition in physiques and how people are progressing towards these shows as people do get leaner so yeah it was an epic day there was so many people there and um yeah you, you boys can probably elaborate on it a little bit more but Tim bk is looking really good yeah so we're really really proud of the athletes we're bringing to the stage this this season
3: absolutely mate we'll definitely be
0: rooting for them as well dy trip down to melbourne mate how was that
3: yeah, so last time I chatted, I was pretty much on the back end of a load. We decided, hell, let's go for a four-day break down to Melbourne. So that was good, very expensive little trip. I had to purchase my first pair of Jordans. So I was like, I've never really been a Jordan fan. But I was like, you know what, i got a copper pair. So when you're down in Melbourne, you've got all those shoe shops there, you know, like a kid in a candy store. You didn't know which, which ones to pick.
0: You want to have a fun fact about Jordans. When I was in grade 10 or 11 and Gemma will be smiling as she listens to this because she knows this story I well my mom bought me a pair of basketball shoes because I was going to play on the school basketball team and it was a pair of Jordans because they were on sale and mom was like yeah go on like you can get them I was like oh sick so I like looked up the model or like the type of Jordans that they were and I typed them into Google because I wanted to like you know just check them out like see other colors and stuff and the first um, page that came up was an article and it said like, what are the top 10 worst Jordans of all time? And mine was listed in there. I was absolutely <laughs> devastated, man. I was so sad. Just number one. Oh, just right at the start.
3: <laughs> so tough. But I Never wore them.
0: How was Melbourne?
3: Yeah, it was good. Good food down there as well. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think Brisbane's got the better food. Like I don't know. We went to a couple of the top restaurants down there. And I don't know if maybe since I go to a large majority of good restaurants here that maybe the choices that I'm comparing to the up there, like up here might be a little bit different, but I actually prefer the food in Brisbane. Um, But other than that, it was a blast, you know, just a couple of days getting away, um, moved to my check-ins forward a day. So that way we were able to spend another day down there and then got back and I was ready to roll. So right off that, I pretty much done up a new program. So i am been running like a push-pull legs. I remember, I think I discussed it a little bit last time. and just running that, everything's tracking smoothly. I did do a little 100-cal uh, increase as well alongside the new training pram, program. Just wanted to uh, drive, hopefully, a little bit more gains. Uh, now that all three of us are now hitting an incline bench press, I can't have the uh, smallest incline bench. Wait, is is DC hitting the incline bench?
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. What are the numbers, boys? Rack them off. Let's see who's in the lead at the moment. DC?
1: um i did three sets of eight at a hundred uh today and that felt good. I was, it was quite it was quite conservative as well because then i did a did a drop set at the end and i repped 80 for 150 84 uh 80 kilos for 18 reps i think and i was just like wow okay i need to that's I need crazy to, i need to go a little oh. bit heavier on this on this um on these pre pre preceding sets so we'll see where we can take it next week what about yeah. you jackie Boy?
2: I did 100 for uh, eight. Yeah. So I did it. That was just the top set. So I can't quite, I don't think I could match three sets of eight. So I think Jeez. DC's got me.
0: DC's got that stamina, stamina 100.
3: Damn. All right. Yeah, and I'm 100 for six. So I guess oh, I'm a okay. touch behind Jack. Yeah. The boys, are I must warm, say, warm, they're smooth. Room, they're they're nice. bodybuilding reps, you know
1: oh I think... sorry boys i was like doing that whole bounce off the chest that you see on youtube and everything, uh... dc had a
3: slingshot on just like
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: yeah mark
3: curling my one as well yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't want to say it but jack gave me a message and he said dc was pretty much flat pressing the incline bench with the amount of back arc he was having so you know we're gonna to have to disregard that
1: 100 yeah i'm a gymnast from a previous life
0: All right. <laughs> And um, yeah, I mean, to wrap up my last couple of weeks has been not quite optimal. Unfortunately, I, um, I actually was quite unwell for a fair few days, which impacted a bit of training. And like looking back, I think it was the first time in many, many years that I actually haven't been able to do a session through being either sick or injured touch wood. So yeah, it was pretty ordinary. I just woke up and one day it was like just extreme aches from like the neck all the way down to the lower back like very lethargic, bit of a low-grade headache, which is very unusual for me. So I was testing lots and pretty much just isolating at home because mum and dad were away and I was just kind of chilling by myself. But it wasn't the virus. And I thought maybe it had finally caught me after all these years, but it was not. So whatever, not too sure what it was, but I just decided like going into the following week, you know, like I still didn't feel... 100% from like an energy and a body ache standpoint. So I thought the numbers are going to be garbage anyway. I'll just take the deload. And I had gotten four weeks in, which is not too bad for mesocycle. You know, it's it's at least passable. So took the deload, felt amazing afterwards, have felt super fresh this week and sort of used the chance to just shake up a few things. I've had very similar looking mesocycles for the last, you know, probably three or four. So the biggest change has probably been moving the stiff-legged deadlift to my second leg day and then putting in a barbell bent over row as my main sort of, I don't know, bending forward with weight on a pull day and just trying to progress that because I haven't really ever given it a proper shake to actually try to get really strong at that. So I've been trying to include that a little bit more and um,
2: I'm looking forward to this block. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Have you got a particular goal in mind with the row?
0: yeah like even like even yesterday i had a go with 100 for eight and i don't know if i've ever even used 100 before because previously i've been very pedantic with like the form and the torso position and that sort of thing but you know like well and it was kind of like well where has that gotten me you know like i definitely know that my back is improved but it's not like the row has been one that I've been able to keep progressing and keep in for block after block and keep going. So I'm trying not to be as stringent this time around. Like, obviously I don't want them to look terrible, but I'm just going to be a little bit less strict on, you know, keeping a perfectly stable torso, because I just think it's one of those movements that it's very hard to progress it. If you're going to use no momentum. Mm -hmm. And like I was watching one of AJ's videos the other day and, you know, like he sort of made some fair points in the sense that you don't like, it it is a whole posterior chain exercise. So you don't need to always be so sort of specific on, you know, it can only be the humorous moving and that sort of thing. So, and I just think, you know, it's trying something new at the end of the day, like I've got other movements. I know that they're going to be hitting my back like they need to, but trying this in a new way, see if it yields some results see if it yields some
2: progress where i've potentially been lacking so i'm looking forward to giving it a go Mm. yeah i mean as you would know i do the the dumbbell bend over row and i've been running that for a long time now well over a year and i've i used to do it a lot more strict i've incorporated a bit more momentum and it still feels great and i don't feel like it's taking away from the the uh, i guess the purpose of the left
0: Yeah, I think because the only change I made like yesterday, I did sort of two top sets of six to eight and then finished with a back off up to like 12. And because my arms are so long, like I can't really get that nice stretch at the bottom if I just stand on the ground. So I just, the second set like stood on like a 25 kilo plate and that felt really, really good because it just allowed me to get a bit more of a stretch, um, but still not being too pedantic on whether or not I, you know, stand up a little bit at the top of the rep, especially as you fatigue. And it kind of like, if getting into that slightly more upright torso position allows you to bring your arms through more and actually get the muscles short, like I don't really see too much of an issue with that. I think it's like, it's one of those things where for as bros, it sounds like if you can still feel it in the target tissue and they look respectable, like I don't think it's something that needs to be super strict. You know what I mean? But yeah, it is It is a tough one. It's probably one of those movements that I even... It, you kind of need to revisit it, you know, once a, a block, film it, just make sure that it's still looking okay. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the new block. It's going to be a lot of fun. And gentlemen, we're not far off from a few of the first shows of this season as well. So how are we all looking with athletes and that sort of thing? Jack, you don't have any this season?
2: No one in Australia, unfortunately. But no. okay. Team TBD has... I think 11 people. So obviously all with Tierra and then I've got one guy, two guys in the US. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of
0: like Tierra's clientele, will you help out at all? Like are
2: you going to, on show day, are you going to be running around doing anything? I'm sure I will. If they need assistance, I'll definitely be there. So if they need uh, a hand with anything, for sure.
3: Can you put your hand up for uh, oiling up the bikini girls too?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I don't have the certification required for that. So, you'll be the photographer. <laughs> and I'll be the trophy presenter. I'll do that strut on stage and that bounce around, put the medal yeah, on. Yeah, you'd smash that. I reckon you'd do really well at that. And for
0: you, DC, like with you and BK, how, how does it work? Like, do you have your athletes and does he have his, or is it all just going to be a bit of cross transfer?
1: Yeah, so I think we definitely have our own individual athletes, but we definitely have a collaborative coaching model in particular when it comes to the the actual stage day. So for the most part, we'll both be attending to the group of athletes that, that we have, whether it be reviewing um, the, the carb up protocol or the pump up protocol, you know, whatever it may may be. And also assessing the timeline as well, because obviously the the day, the runs ahead of show or behind behind show. So we'll constantly be paying attention to that collectively, but I would say, I would dare say, obviously our attention will be more diverted towards our individual clients. But, you know, at the end of the day, we, we work collaboratively as a team. So um, it's going to be assisting BK athletes irrespective of who is their primary coach or not.
0: Yeah, cool. I like that. Um, just because I guess on the in the mania of show day, you never know when someone's just going to need you to, to step in and it's not like you're not going to help at the end of the day. So no, yeah, that's good.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly right.
0: Beautiful, boys. Well, that's a good catch up. I'm glad to see you're all alive after two weeks and doing well. So we'll crack into a few Q&A questions. We've got a lot of really good ones on the poll this time around. So, D.Y., I'll go to you for the first one, mate. And the question asks, have any of you guys ever done a dirty bulk and taken it a bit too far? So I'm assuming they're meaning from a body composition standpoint, maybe getting a bit too uh, chunky, but funky as DC said earlier.
3: Yeah, so I've actually done uh, probably a couple of rounds of dirty bulking. This was before I actually got a coach and decided to go down the bodybuilding uh, route. It's definitely been washed out a lot back probably about five, 10 years ago. Like, you know, you see Lee Priest sitting there smacking a box, a big bucket of KFC after every workout. And you're like, wow, this guy has an amazing physique. Unfortunately, it just doesn't work like that. I remember after every single uh, training session, I used to train with a mate. And we'd be like, all right, where are we going to go today? Like one day it might be KFC, something like that. And it just doesn't work. It's too much fat gain for not much muscle gain. Like, you know, when you think about how much percent of your body weight you can actually put on each month in lean tissue and then when you go have a dirty bulk and you're putting on one one and a half kilos a week you can't maintain that for long like you know you maintain that for like what 20 weeks and you're nearly 20 kilos up there's no way you're putting on 20 kilos of muscle mass in that time so i have done them and As like, I did them in my early years of training. So they were extremely productive, but could I probably been extremely productive and limited the amount of fat gain that I put on? Yes, a hundred percent, but I don't do them anymore. (laughs) I don't suggest anyone do them anymore. Um, Tracking your macros, you know, going week to week with, or month to month with your weight, you know, making adjustments that way is definitely going to be the better way.
0: Hmm. On that, how often do you get people to check in in their improvement season? Do you still do weekly or do you space it out a bit more?
3: Yeah, I do weekly. I do weekly. I look over programs, check their weight, you know, if they need anything adjusted or anything like that, check in on them. But yeah, every normally weekly, I don't do bi-weekly check-ins.
0: Could you see the rationale for it though? Like in the off season, if you're working with some experienced, like, are you really seeing that much of a difference?
3: Uh, yeah, I believe so. Like uh, with a large majority of my client base being female as well, like, you know, the, you know, one bad week can then steamroll into a second bad week. Unfortunately, not all of them are like Lawrence here where, you know, every client ticks the box hundred percent hit macros hitting workouts perfectly. You know, there might be one week where you might have a little bit of an average week. And then, you know, if I don't check in with them for two weeks, that could be two weeks of average check-in. So at least, you know, touching base with them, seeing how they're going, you know, there's a lot more to, I guess, my coaching, my coaching than just one week's worth of results. Like, I want to make sure they're all right. You know, the boxes are being ticked and they're all right mentally as well.
1: I think accountability is a, is a massive aspect to that as well, right? So mm. you do have someone who might stray off target in relation to their goal. Having a weekly check-in is just a really good way of maintaining accountability to that long-term goal, which we probably all need every, every now and then, regardless of whether you're a coach or not. But mm. perhaps the timeliness of that Maybe doesn't need to be as, as timely for someone who might be more experienced or, you know, higher training age or training status or something like that. So bi-weekly might be okay for someone, but I would say mostly for us, we, we tend to do weekly check-ins. It's quite rare we do fortnightly, I'd say.
3: I just feel like a lot can steamroll as well. Like, you know, if you have one average week and then maybe before, like, you know, you've obviously done your bodybuilding show and then it can just like kind of steamroll. Like you have an average week and you're like, well, this week was shit. Why not make the next week shit? Where it's like, you know, if you can pull them back in, just be like touch base, like, you know, Hey, how are you going? Like, you know, oh, I had a bad, oh, well, let's get back on track. Let's tick the boxes and let's not make it be two, three bad weeks. And let's just get right back on track. Yeah.
0: I think it's very individual dependent, I would say, and probably something you work out over time, but, We'll get to uh, another question. So Jack, you can get into this one, mate. Advice for a 16
2: year old wanting to compete. Yeah, interesting question. So I, wait, what what uh, age did you first compete? You would have been 17, 18? I was 17. I started with mm-hmm. Joey when I was 16, yeah. Yeah, nice. And so I guess you might be most qualified to answer this. So I'll be interested to hear your thoughts. I think for for most 16 year olds, The majority, I think, in my opinion, should not compete at 16. I think waiting until you have a more established foundation, I'm sure there are plenty of 16 year olds who probably have more muscle than me, uh, but I would say most 16 year olds don't (laughs) and they could benefit from gaining for longer, uh, especially just being in school as well. And even in university. I guess some might say, particularly in university, you have more free time, you don't have as much responsibility. So that could be a good time to compete for the first time like I did. I think with high school though, uh, you're very susceptible to outside influence through like disordered eating or or certain nutritional protocols. And I, I don't think like high school at 16 is is socially the time to compete. And also from like a development standpoint as well, like you're still within that phase where your your body is literally growing in terms of laying down bone, etc. Uh, so I think probably waiting till even 17 is pretty damn young, Lawrence. <laughs> um, so I would I would probably personally wait till like 18 plus, in my opinion. No, and I do agree with you. Like whilst yes, I did my
0: first season at 17 like they definitely had its challenges being in prep and being at school like it didn't really affect anything from an academic standpoint but man some of those P lessons I was dragging ass like I felt terrible but I think it's like and I can't I it would be a lie for me to say that I don't sometimes think about you know what if I had actually just started with Joey at 16 when I did and I said to him like hey man I want to compete when I'm 20. You know, and we just spent that whole time gaining. Like, of course, like that would have been super beneficial, and my results would undoubtedly be better because I would have eliminated all that time getting into a harsh deficit. But I guess from the other perspective, it is like I just wanted to see if I actually liked it or not. I wanted to see if I actually enjoyed the process of getting on stage and being on stage and doing the bodybuilding thing. So I think that has merit. But you know, like if you do want to be as competitive as possible probably not going to be best to compete that young. Like, I mean, I was definitely, you know, could have been bigger and could have gotten leaner, but it was sort of a good point to be at considering the amount of muscle I had. Like, I think anything more, I just would have looked, you know, like a tennis player on stage. And that's obviously not what we're going for when we're trying to be bodybuilders. So look, I think there's pros and cons to both, but for the majority of people, it is probably going to be better to wait a bit longer. Obviously there's going to be freaks out there that can probably you know, compete at 18 or 19 and, and win an overall. But, you know, they're, they're few and far between.
1: Yeah, totally. if, you're, if you're a 16 year old kid and you've just established that, like the bodybuilding stage is something that you want to aspire to, like try telling a 16 year old kid, no, 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 no wait another four or five years to compete. Mm. You'll be okay. <laughs> I can guarantee you they're going to be like, man, I want to get on stage right now. Like I want to, like, who can I talk to to, to make this happen sort of thing? So in, in light of like, yes, you know, get that experience. I would say align yourself with someone who can mentor you correctly along along how to follow a smart way of prep mm. um, if that's the direction that you want to go down. Because you definitely don't want here at to hear it bodybuilding down under any young young dudes that are like super keen to get to the stage. Like, no, 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 wait, wait four or five years. You know, you haven't built the physique yet. <laughs> it's like, all well, if you want to do it, you can do it. But like mm-hmm. Lawrence said, there might be that trade-off. You know, maybe, maybe you'll be more competitive in a couple of years time if you spend that time building. But if you do want to yeah. compete, this is the, the person or this is the, you know, the way to do it properly.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess where I was coming from is more the actual like physiology of someone who is still 16. Like we know that competing naturally, it does interfere with your natural testosterone and it might interfere with your bone mineral density as well. If you are still laying down bone mineral density at that point in your life, which you are. So that that's more where I was coming from, which, I mean, there's always a risk, even when we compete now, like in our 20s, there's still a health risk associated. So it, as long as the individual, because ultimately it should be the parent's decision, that might be controversial, but at 16, you're not an adult. So mm. it, it should really come from the parents.
1: Probably more, even more of a reason to do it smartly.
2: Mm, for sure.
1: If, if you are going to be that young and compete.
2: Yeah.
0: And as long as you don't mind your homeroom teacher Pulling you to the side and asking, you know, is everything okay? You look a bit unwell. That actually did happen, and it was funny because I I came did back to school long? like, yeah, yeah. What's going on, Lawrence? You look sick. Um,
1: you feeding
3: you,
0: like, yeah. <laughs> and it was funny because I saw her the, the following year at like an awards ceremony once I had graduated and I was in prep again, and she was like, no, it's happened again. So yeah, I did obviously put on a bit of weight in between those times, but no, funny to reflect back on. Any last things to add to that, DY?
3: I heard the uh, the real reason of concern is that you're in the uh, gym posing rooms in their little little mirror yeah, yeah, yelling out whatever it takes. I'll do it. And you're sitting there in your posing trunks in the middle of school. Is that not true?
0: Mate, that's completely true. I couldn't deny that at all. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I could just imagine that you're sitting there running through your posing routine in like some little trunks at like lunchtime and the HPE teacher comes in cleaning up the basketball. What the hell is this?
0: But it was weird, like no one aside from my close friends really knew what was going on and then I rocked up to school on the, on the Monday and I had a very noticeable post-show glow. <laughs> and everyone was like, what the hell? And then a few teachers were like, Lawrence, like what's the go? And I was like, oh yeah, like I did bodybuilding show on the weekend and then yeah, but definitely an interesting look to rock up with on a Monday morning.
1: I'm just imagining you at like your school swim carnival, like everyone's just eager to get in and like do their 15 <laughs> Oh, here you are like lining up at Marshall, like hitting this side chest in your little...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mate, I was actually so upset because the swimming carnival was like January. So I was only like a couple of weeks into the diet. But imagine if it was like mid-year, just pulling absolutely shredded.
3: (laughs) But it wasn't to be, it wasn't to be. Men's, they aren't speedos. He's sitting there in his posing trunks. Sitting there. Why is there <laughs> glitter on them? Oh, wow. Now I don't really have much more to add to it. Obviously at 16, like 17 years of age, you need to be very careful because obviously mental health, like, you know, with the physique sport, having such a high percentage of eating disorders, like let's say if a 16 year old female girl wants to go in there, her expect- expectations of lean once she comes out of that prep are probably not going to be the same. And it's going to put her in a very bad space. So they obviously need to be educated on that. Let them even know that before. And you know, obviously making sure they tick some, like tick the pre-prep boxes before they actually do it. But other than that, you boys have it all covered.
0: Definitely. All right. Next question. Do you guys ever get sore muscles from lack of use? I'm not really sure how to approach this one. Is it maybe like you know that so, first week after the deload like mm-hmm. if you're super sore do you reckon that's what they get that
3: yeah it was it was like coming out of like a holiday so let's say you have like a 2 week holiday and you come back and you are like you're extremely sore muscle wise
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah i'm cactus first week after the deload i get very sore but i guess that's where we sort of come back to the whole idea of the the repeat bout effect like the following week when you come back and you do the same thing your body's adapted to that stimulus but I think it's pretty pretty normal for that to happen, especially with like novel exercises. So for example, like if you go train with your friend and you use a machine that you haven't ever used before, you're probably going to be pretty sore after that because it's a stimulus that your body's not used to.
1: Mm. Even I guess approaching that session again after taking some time off, you might actually slow down the tempo and accentuate the eccentric because you're trying to like focus on the movement a little bit more because you're not as proficient in it. So you might have even loaded the eccentric to a greater degree. And we know that eccentrics have a greater transfer to um, you know, higher levels of DOMS and soreness. So could potentially be a reason as well.
2: Yeah, I actually interpreted it as like having time off the gym completely, like say three or four weeks off without any training and actually getting sore muscles in, in that time. Because I've, I've done that before because of my back. And I did notice that it was mainly... Cause I think the question asked specifically mentioned the back and I did get a sore back, well, not a sore back, but just I did notice almost like muscle pain from doing nothing, which I couldn't really explain myself. Like that would be more of a question probably for you, Lawrence. Yeah. Well, I guess like, I mean, I see it quite
0: often with people who come into, you know, like the, the, practice where i work at and like oh i've had some back pain come on and you know they're maybe normally quite active going to the gym regularly going for walks and that sort of thing and maybe they've had three weeks where like they're moving house there's been a sickness in the family they haven't been able to do any sort of sessions or anything like that so they've essentially just been sedentary a lot more than they usually are and you know i think we can just attribute that to the fact that you know our bodies and especially like our spines they like regular movement and they like to stay moving because i mean you know we all experience it you jump in the car for two hours driving somewhere you get out like you're stiff and sore but you move around for a few minutes and then it's sweet so i think we're probably just seeing a more exaggerated version of that and that doesn't mean to say like it's even caused any sort of damage or anything's wrong but it's just a simple case of you know joints like to be moving they like Mm. to stay moving and you know when we're doing less
2: exercise that potentially allows a few of these things to creep in yeah that makes sense even from an anecdotal standpoint like i did rdls on monday my back actually felt better the day after than the day of because of of that after effect from moving i think it was good to move yeah the best thing ever is like when you get a patient at work and
0: they've got like some lower back pain so like first we go to the gym to maybe go through some of their exercises and then like as we're walking back to the consult room they're like oh actually like i feel a bit better after that and you're just like yes yes i've got them so it's good to get that buy-in
1: and then the next day they're picking up that um that 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 tub of milk with uh with the most rounded back ever again <laughs> again <laughs> after you'd be like "No, no no neutral spine or like straight back
0: the the straight are you uh you do subscribe to that mr dc the neutral spine debate as soon as i said the word
1: neutral this guy (laughs) was going to jump on it and be like neutral is a range
0: (laughs) i was
2: thinking about squat university straight away
1: no but like even like i I don't hook reel and sinker man you
0: just yeah no you you've just you've just juked me into that one but it it is an interesting one because like even Tierra the other day was you know asking me jack when we trained together we had a look at her stiff-legged and that sort of thing and you know, like bit of spinal flexion and that, like it just, it just doesn't matter. Like it, it is just like any other joint. And like all of us have probably gone through phases where we've deadlift or RDL or stiff legged or whatever. And like, when you start using a decent load, your back is going to bend. So like, and, and that's what annoys me is like sometimes these, the the classic and i'm not going to name any specific gyms but you know how gyms put out you know content on social media where they'll demonstrate a deadlift you know they're like here's johnny one of our personal trainers demonstrating the deadlift and they'll say it's important to keep a straight back but then you know old mates doing it with an empty well pretty much an empty bar with like two five kilos on the side like yeah of course you can stay like perfectly erect but as soon as you start to load that a bit more like you're just not going to be able to maintain that position nor should you have to that's that's my biggest thing Mm. I don't know. Like
1: I'm probably finding the spinal position. That's, that's ideal for the individual based on mm. load capacity, reduced injury risk, you know, exercise. <laughs> and for one person that might be more like, through the spine like put, it, put it this way, Lawrence, like if I said to you from now on, you need to perform all of your deadlifts with the most excessive lumbar flexion from here on, you're probably going to say, Oh yeah, look, I probably could, but probably won't be ideal for my lift. So there's obviously going to be a, a more ideal position, which you can allow you to lift more load.
0: Mm, definitely. And like, I agree with all that, except for the injury risk part, because there's there's no evidence to suggest that that is correct.
1: Well, that's what I mean is that like at the end of the day, it's always, it it comes down to like, there's no good or bad movement. It's just specific to the individual. So it's like, if you're, it's specific to what you're acclimated to. So you might be mm. acclimated to like holding your spine in a certain position through your deadlift. And that's fine. And but as then, as soon as you you were to look at potentially completely changing that, and looking to lift the same load, would that potentially increase your injury risk? I would say it might. It's like asking you for you to go into like uh, like tomorrow. I want you to start performing some max rep snatches. Let's see. Let's see if um like spinal position plays an effect on that for you, an injury I risk.
0: I think yeah. Like the whole thing about you know acclimating yourself, like that's completely right. You know, like because at the end of the day tissues will adapt so as long as you're doing something in a progressive and gradual and sensible manner then you know it's not an issue but like if we're talking just about like spinal position during the lift irrespective of like you know if we're talking about that in isolation like there's that in itself is not a you know more injurious than like a neutral spine for your example even uh what if what if you factor in load though Well, that's where it comes back to, I think, tissue adaptation over time. So it's Mm -hmm. like, if you start deadlifting on your first day, where you do 40 kilos total and you have a little bit of lower backgrounding, that's probably fine. If it feels good, awesome. Because by the time that you've lifted like that for four years and you're doing 180, your tissues have adapted to moving in that way. Mm -hmm. Now, if you've never deadlifted in your life and you attempt 180, look, there's probably that's, that's an instance where we're like, okay, your tissues are not like, they don't necessarily have the capacity to deal with that. And that's where we could suspect that maybe you would sustain an injury from a pure tissue capacity standpoint, but you know, like the load, I, I, it's, it's irrelevant really, because I mean, people, for example, hurt themselves warming up with, you know, a hundred kilos when they sometimes deadlift 200 kilos um irrespective of spinal position
1: mm.
2: yeah i must admit like ever since you started your podcast like it's kind of realigned uh, no i'm just a lot more careful of how i talk about injuries to clients um which i think is a good thing like uh, particularly when a client tells me i'm scared of getting injured because i i'm training hard or i'm scared of getting injured on this particular movement and it's an interesting discussion with them essentially. And it's a little bit outside of my scope too in some aspects. Yeah, that's like the main thing. Like for me, a lot of the time, it's the words
0: we use are really important and they're really powerful. And I just don't want like, because you can easily create fear within people depending on how you say things and what you say. So like for me, that's a lot of the gripes I have with certain people. It's like you're deterring people and you're creating barriers by using certain words like that. Um, so I just think that's, and look, we could all be better with that in, in a lot of different things. Like I'm sure I've, I've, I've said some of that along the way, but it's it's a good thing to be mindful of.
1: Yeah. I think it's really, I think it's really easy to to catastrophize or create a problem out of nothing, essentially when it comes to being a PT or being a doctor or whatever it may be, Hey, don't do this because you'll injure yourself. And then all of a sudden the person immediately thinks that as soon as they get into their position, they're going to injure themselves. And it's almost like, are you then training your body to feel discomfort and pain within this range because someone told you that you're going to be painful in that range? And that always comes back to the argument of like, you know, like you said, spinal, spinal positioning, like it's all just comes down to what someone is used to, I guess, and what is comfortable for them. And it's, it's, it's always a trial and error, uh, you know, standpoint instead of just a, hey, don't do this, don't do that. So like, let's try this, let's try that. Let's see what it feels like.
3: Mm, definitely definitely I've spoken too much so it's funny we went down this rabbit hole because I was gonna say it when you were talking about doing your bent over rows I was like you know I'm not gonna say it because it's gonna go for like you know 15-20 minutes down this one rabbit hole but yeah I was gonna ask something similar like do you think it's gone a little bit too far with now like some of the form stuff because I remember originally like you know you look back five years ago you're gonna have a straight back with everything blah 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 blah, blah. and now it's like come out it's like well you know actually the spinal position like you know it doesn't need to be straight and it shouldn't be straight a majority of the time so it was just i guess we found it found ourselves here anyway it was inevitable
1: it's an interesting when you want to instruct someone on how to perform a deadlift then because you know you you almost need to have a certain position to practice initially to then move into to then explore ranges you know what i mean so i think that's often when like a pt might say you know hold a neutral spine it's like okay let's start there let's see what it feels like Okay, this doesn't feel right. All right, let's let's round a little bit more for the thoracic. Does that improve our, our positioning or our hip positioning from the starting position or, you know, whatever it may be? So yes.
3: I know a lot of the injuries like seem to come from the exercise themselves, but a lot of it's coming from like the recovery standpoint as well. Like, you know, are you warmed up enough? Are you actually familiar with that weight? Like, you know, controlling the weight, just don't go from 60 kilo deadlift last week to now doing one twenty. like, you know, working your way up, making sure your recovery is on point. You're eating enough food. If you're in a surplus, like, you know, you're having enough protein, you know, you're hydrated and all that comes into effect before majority of the time that one exercise does
0: yeah 100 i think that so often we point to stuff like technique but you know i could easily list 10 major things that are probably a lot more predictive of injury than you know whether or not you've got a bit of knee valgus on a squat or a bit of lower back rounding but i don't want to make it a physio podcast boys because i literally will go all night and you found my kryptonite you got me all riled up there
2: <laughs> so you just need to go and listen to the general muscle podcast
0: i didn't want to say it jack but you know do what you have to do um, D-Y. Why?
1: I watching Olympic weightlifters? Cause like some of the ranges that they get to just completely throw out this concept of like, Hey, this range is bad for your shoulder. Cause it's like, watch these guys snatch a ridiculous amount of weight above their head and the amount of internal or external rotation through the shoulder that they're holding under load and try and tell that person that, that you know, okay, shoulder, you know, locking out the elbow at an end range position overhead is bad for your elbows. <laughs> try and tell that person with an Olympic gold medal, <laughs>
0: Yeah and and that's the thing DC like just to round the point off it's like well they weren't doing that with 200 kilos to start off with that would probably be pretty silly but they've started with just a pvc pipe and they've you know they've developed the ability to tolerate you know their tissues have adapted to that over time Absolutely Beautiful All right boys something a little bit more light hearted favorite meals
3: to prep in a bulk Is that like meal prep or just favorite bulking meals I think we just go with what are our favorite meals for the bulk? Make it simple. What's
0: yours, Lawrence? I am loving just cream of rice, blueberries, whey protein, and some 95% dark chocolate at the moment. I had that twice today, and it was delicious both times. It's so much better than cream of wheat.
2: <laughs> now we're down another rabbit hole. Look no, at I us.
1: Say that, yeah.
2: The gloves are off. <laughs> what about you, Jack? I have to go with, I've been having like protein cakes, I guess, cream of wheat for, for years. So I would, that's by far my most regular bulking meal. Like I won't have it more than once a day, but it's it's there almost every day, just like a different variation potentially.
3: What about you, D-Y? So my pre-workout meal, I'll probably say these two, my pre and post. And so my pre-workout meal is always cream of rice. So I'll have like cream of rice with like a rule one protein, some berries and some honey. And then normally, that's probably my, my most common meal. I probably have that every single day. Just works really well. And then post-workout, I normally either have like 200 grams of like a rump steak with like, um, I normally have the Uncle Ben's rice rice packs. I'll just mix and match the rice pack each day. If I want Mexican rice, I'll have that. If I want tomato and basil, I'll have that. And maybe uh, a little bit of veggies in there too.
0: What, what grade of uh, marble wagyu do you do?
3: Nah, uh, <laughs> uh, just some grass-fed stuff from down at the butcher and what about yeah,
1: you dc my meals are almost similar to to prep it's just i guess the portions they're a little bit different so you know i'm usually making some sort of stir fry but i'll have a copious amount of rice with it i might have some sort of pasta dish i might make nachos um, i drink a lot of my calories nowadays with smoothies and things like that i get a good amount of carbohydrates into training with some sort of parade parade powder uh usually i'll have i'll usually like stick to like an oats but i might just add more condiments to it to try and sort of bulk it up a little bit more in regards to peanut butter or nutella or things like that just to try and get in a little bit more high higher density of calories within that meal so my hunger is still not existent so i need to rely on quite dense dense foods in order to meet my nutritional requirements
2: i've got a question for you guys like how much do you factor in price to what you eat? Like, do you actively, let's say you usually get this brand, but like another brand, which is the same thing as on special? Do you buy it or do you like have a budget per week? I think listeners would be quite keen to hear that. Lawrence, I'm still a little boy. I still
0: live at <laughs> home with my dad,
2: but, uh, but I'm young. So don't
0: judge me out of any of you listeners. I'm a baby boy, but um, no, mum still does the groceries, mate. So, but to be fair, like everything I Eat is dirt cheap anyway. Like half of what I eat is
3: rice. So you are what about you, Jack? Oh, all right. Let the real Uh, adults answer this question. I don't have a budget. Honestly, I don't really do much outside of like bodybuilding. So I normally just buy whatever I want from the shops. Yeah, yeah. Like I I honestly don't really buy much apart from activewear, gym memberships, and food. So I do buy like the better stuff. So probably my groceries might be like. 200 or something a week and then i'll go to the butcher right after that and i'll probably spend like 70 to 100 dollars there as well so just so probably just for myself probably around like i guess 250 300 bucks a week mm.
1: i actually rarely meal prep and even through the entirety of my contest prep i never never meal preps i would always just cook fresh on the day i enjoy i enjoy cooking so it was sort of somewhat therapeutic to go into the kitchen for 20 or 30 minutes and cook a meal and eat it right then and there as opposed to fill up my fridge with Tupperware containers, which I have nothing against. I think that's incredibly smart and it allows you to you know, plan according to your what, what your macronutrients requirements are in the week up and coming, specifically if you don't have a lot of time to do so. But I live and work in front of my computer with the fridge about 10 steps away. So it's very easy for me to go and just make up a meal that I need depending on you know where I'm at in the day. So yes, I don't do a lot of meal prep. I don't know about you boys.
3: Well, how much price though? How much do you reckon you spend? That being said, I forgot to include Uber Eats and probably eating out. So if you probably Mm -hmm. tack on another 100, 150 on there. Do
1: I think I would probably spend around maybe 300 a week, something along those lines for for groceries. And that would be for myself and Nicole. So not just Mm -hmm. myself, but um, yeah, probably about 300. Because you're
0: doing the bloody price war with yourself aren't you at the
2: moment jack you're trying to like keep it as low as possible yeah i mean uh, in the like probably a year over a year ago like i honestly wouldn't care i would probably quite easily rack up 250 300 but i mean it's almost become maybe it's the mortgage i'm not sure but uh i've just been seeing it more as like a, i guess like how low can i Still achieve great nutrition and and how much money can I save in the process? Which is more time consuming. It's a bit more of a nuisance, but like I've I'm around like one to one to one fifty at the moment, and that's um still nowhere near as low as like Tiara. She literally spends like fifty bucks a week on food. It's just ridiculous, um, but it adds up. Times that by fifty two, it adds up. Yeah. You know who's the king of meal prep? Is Demo.
0: Yes. Because sure. it all looks great. Like, it all, he's like, and he, like, man, he like bakes his own bread. Like, he's mm. just, yeah, it's it all cra- looks amazing.
3: It's crazy because I was talking to him on the weekend at the posing, and it's just, it's so insane how he can have such a variety of meals and stay on track. Like, doesn't ever eat out, really. Like, he always makes everything at home, and it looks absolutely unreal. And, like, you know, he's got, obviously, a kid that he's got to feed as well. You've got to make it enjoyable for the kid. And, you know, you make different meals every single night, and they always fit within his targets. It's, it's crazy the level of dedication that he's got. I couldn't believe how young he was.
0: Like, I know that sounds weird coming from me because I'm younger than him, but I think he's only 33 which for that level of muscle maturity and size and density, like I was actually quite surprised by that. Mm. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah, he is a
3: large specimen.
1: I wasn't wasn't sure what his age age was.
3: Yeah, to be honest, I probably would have thought it would have been about 30, in between 30 to 35. Maybe I just want him to be my dad.
2: So I thought of him as being (laughs) a bit older. Maybe you wanted him him to be older. So uh, that could justify his, his muscularity for you yeah
0: exactly like i sort of thought mm, you know when i'm 40 i'll look like demo <laughs> which kind of what we're all shooting for let's be fair i
3: mm. thought you were about to say like 26 or something and just be like astronomically low and just like just blow all of our egos out of the water all righty
0: next question why is the Stairmaster the go-to in prep i have never used the Stairmaster in prep what about you boys
1: no i've never used this neither have i either nor have i prescribed it for anyone really as well
2: same here. Oh, so, D-Y has for sure. I know yeah. it. I know it. <laughs> no, nah, so
3: I have used the Master because I never used to track uh, activity like my daily step count. So when I was with Joe, my first ever prep, we just used Master to increase my daily activity. So, um, and then I did that on my second prep as well. On my third prep, I did not. I took it out. I went with steps. In my opinion, steps are just all round better. But now let's say if someone gets to that point in prep uh, and the steps, you just can't drive up any higher. Like maybe they're working at an office and 12K steps is an absolute mission to get. I can't be like, all right, well, now I you to 15. Yeah, so it gets a little bit harder. So then I, on the rest days, I'll be like, all right, well, on the rest days, go in, do 30 minutes on the stairs, and therefore we can increase that activity. Um, do I prescribe there's no real preference. I would say like I just go for the calories burned, but I feel like the Stairmaster, the calories burned are probably the highest out of nearly all of the other cardio pieces, in my opinion, for the rate of, uh, you know, per 30 minutes, you know, you burn in like three, 400 calories. So I don't know a lot of people actually ask me for it, like in terms of preference for it. So normally, Hey, if they want to do the Stairmaster, they can. Um, but normally always steps. And then I'll maybe add in some form of cardio if they want the Stairmaster, they can have it. One thing I have done, uh, actually this week is I had one girl and I added in the Stairmaster just for like, Keeping the structure on the rest days, I found it was a huge help uh, to then go in the same time each week in the gym. They're just in there doing something. It also gives them like something to break up the meal timings with because as the food gets lower, um, it's something to do. I don't know when you boys were training in prep, I'd be at the gym for three, four hours and I wouldn't even think about food. So I kind of wanted to implement it for that kind of benefit, but without obviously driving up the uh, step count because she did work uh, at an office. But there's nothing really special about it. It's just I, for me, if they can't get their steps any higher and they need some more calories burned, well, I guess, you know, some form of cardio is in there. And I just feel like a lot of bikini girls love it. Yeah. I yeah, think,
1: think you yeah, know, you go, you go, Jack, first.
3: Oh, we might be saying the same thing. Like,
2: I think often there has been a misconception about the Stairmaster where it might bring you in faster, it might kind of bring out details in the lower body, which I don't think is the case. And, of course, we've all seen those videos on social media about people doing kickbacks on the Sam Master, which is of course absolute rubbish as well. So just thought, thought I'd outline that.
1: Yeah. And I was just going to say, I think when it comes down to assessing the efficacy of a certain prescription around cardio, it's always important to identify sort of what what's the reason, what's the real reason for that and why you're prescribing it. So within a contest prep, it could just be as a means to obviously increase energy expenditure. But then there always needs to be a trade-off between is this going to negatively impact my performance in training is it going to be too energetically taxing that it's actually a detriment to training performance and that's really how we retain our, our lean tissue within a condest prep so you know if you're let's say you're performing many minutes on on the stairmaster and your sort of leg session proceeding that is really down in the dumps then i would say maybe that particular cardio protocol was too invasive and perhaps steps performed where maybe you need to do a slightly longer duration for the eight and eight you know same energy expenditure if that, that then allows you to be able to perform in your next leg day to a, to a better standard then that might be a more appropriate protocol for the individual so i don't think i think there is like a bit of a connotation around the stairmaster master in a way but i think it's always like you select the appropriate strategy for the individual based on how active they are what's the easiest sort of sort of cardio to integrate from a, like an accountability standpoint What's not going to add an extra an hour and a half a day to perform, uh, which might be unrealistic and unachievable for that individual if they're very busy with work. So it's yeah, it's so many different facets to what would come into description of a specific cardio tool.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm, definitely. Uh, a couple more questions, gents. There was a question about being and Sort of any of our experiences we were talking a little bit off air and i know dc has used it i know me and dy said we hadn't so i really have
2: nothing to add jack have you used it no i haven't i've never prescribed it either it definitely doesn't seem as popular in australia compared to the uk okay well
0: dc do you want to just give us a bit of a rundown as to what it does and like what your experience was it was like how it made yeah, you feel yeah, and yeah, stuff
1: sure so i guess um your or your is a Fat loss supplement, sports supplement, which um, bodybuilders can utilize as a means of trying to improve their conditioning coming to the stage. Um, it is basically an alkaloid derived from an African uh, bark. It's a supplement, which you can't get over the counter here in Australia, but it's not prohibited on the wider list. So it is, you are able to, to take this, you know, similar to like melatonin, for example, which you can't get over the counter here in Australia but it's obviously not banned on the prohibited or water list. Uh, essentially how it works is like, it's a it's an alpha two uh, receptor antagonist, which are basically these, the alpha two receptors are basically receptors that sit mostly in like the um, the, the CNS that uh, for the most part are inhibited. And when they're uninhibited, they actually release um, or become receptive to like norepinephrine or, you know, nor, noradrenaline in a sense. So, Yohimbine, being essentially a alpha receptor antagonist, it basically stops the inhibition of um, noradrenaline and promotes its release, which really is a, is a neurotransmitter that increases like heart rate, heart contractility, um, sort of causes like vasoconstriction of um, arterioles, stimulates sort of the renin angiotensin. I won't go down that track, but basically what it does, it increases thermogenesis and lipolysis and um, can assist in fat loss. So. A lot of a lot of natural bodybuilders will, will tend to use it i wouldn't say commonly as much in australia but like you said potentially over in the uk i don't know if the boys on natural bodybuilding worldwide talk a little bit about it um people use it over in the us and things like that as well but i wouldn't say it was is sort of like game changing like i wouldn't say it's the difference between having diced glutes on stage or not i would almost put it in the category of like you know it's whether you take creatine or not like it's gonna it might help a little bit but you know uh, creatine is probably even too much of an, an exaggeration there I, I would say creatine probably has better benefits in a sense but um yeah it's one of those things that might be like an, a one percenter in terms of you know fat loss but obviously your that your net calorie deficit over the course of a contest prep is really what what deems your conditioning on the day given that you've got enough time
2: mm. Yeah, I guess it would work similar in many fashions to caffeine. So it could be like, much, yeah. yeah. And that's why caffeine does aid in, I guess, in some aspect of fat loss. It's just not, I think it's less than 1%, I would say, but yeah, I, I might use it in the future. I might not. It will be interesting to see what, if AJ recommends it for my next prep, but I think I am someone who does get not, I wouldn't say anxious, but I can't see the are being helping in that respect of things it might kind of contribute to anxiety which i'm not a big fan of
1: yeah absolutely so there are some reportings around some individuals getting symptoms of anxiety or an exacerbation of uh, underlying anxiety due to its intake and you know as a i guess a sports nutritionist uh, it's not something that i would uh, i mean i haven't actually recommended anyone anyone take it within a contest prep and i think like any precaution that you would take, you would assess someone's proclivity towards previous history of anxiety or things like that. Um, or obviously any heart conditions, underlying heart conditions or family family uh, heart conditions of obviously, yeah, being within the, the family, you'd have to obviously assess that within a pre-screen that we always do within BK conditioning anyway. But um, it's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting supplement, but um, I don't think it's game-changing. Like I don't think you know if you're if you're if you're 10 weeks out but you look like you're 20 weeks out it's not going to be the difference that gets you to zero weeks out on peak week like you, mm. you know what i mean so i don't think anything that
2: isn't changer. banned by WADA is game changing
1: well yeah well that's yeah that's exactly yeah.
0: beautiful boys well i think that is just going to about do it for today's episode so any last bits and pieces to add? Anything exciting coming up this week or or just all we all do is doing the do? Doing the do.
1: Doing the do. Yeah,
0: just good. getting the games. Nice, nice. So you heard them, good people. Get out there, live some weights, eat some food. As always, thank you very much for listening to us. If you could take the time, please do head over to your podcast platform of choice. Leave a five-star review. I believe that is the only option as we've discussed previously. And take a screenshot tag us tag bodybuilding down under and share it up to the instagram story we'll be sure to reshare it on our page as well and also be sure to tag us in your own progress like your check-in photos your lifts and that sort of thing a big part of the instagram page is to promote the natty scene and the bodybuilding scene in australia so make sure you tag us on there and, and we'll feature you and that sort of thing but as always we very much enjoy making these and hope you guys enjoyed this episode so we'll catch you next week